Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It is one minute after seven. You are listening to SENZ. Good evening. Welcome into the program. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock alongside of me, Ben Francis. Looking forward to having your company. Telephone number on the program is 0800 150 You can text the program throughout, right through to 11 on double eight double three. We'd love you to be a part of the program. I'd really love you to be a part of the first hour, which I will get to very shortly. But tonight we will look back on the World Rowing Championships. Martin Cross, uh, commentator that you would have heard on Sky Television, the man who was part of the commentary team when the New Zealand 8 uh, won the Olympic Games gold in Tokyo last year. We'll catch up with Dale Budge. The New Zealand men's baseball team is headed to the United States. They're trying to qualify for the World Baseball Classic. Baseball starting to grow in this country due to the Auckland Tuatara, who will be back in action at the end of November through to February 2022-2023. Uh, we'll also talk some Q Sports. We'll talk a little bit of surf life saving. We'll have plenty of opinion. And as I said, you can have your say on 0800 150 But great pleasure. Something really, really different this hour. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I get a little frustrated at times about the definition of sport in this country. It's just too narrow. Our media tend to focus on three or four core sports. And some of the real hard bastards, quintessential New Zealanders who sort of fit that mould of Sir Edmund Hillary, you know, where he climbed the top of Mount Everest and just simply said, I knocked the bastard off. That she'll be right attitude. Well, my guest is all of that and more. In fact, talking to him, he's won more than 270 world championship titles. He's arguably the greatest axeman slash woodchopper the world has ever seen. He is from Kawakawa originally, um, Nati Maniapoto and Napuhi Iwi, so strong Māori descent as well. He has received uh, Queen's Honour, the member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Uh, you might be familiar with his son, who's an outstanding basketball player, uh, Ty Winyard played with the Kentucky University there. My guest is Jason Winyard. Now, if you've got a question for Jason, if you're in the rural community in the city, and as this interview progresses, I'm sure that we will uh, grab your attention. We will hopefully stir the emotions. Feel free to jump on the phone and ask Jason some questions. Jason Winyard, good evening. Welcome. How are you? Good evening, Mark. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks. Great yeah. to be here. Uh, look, I, 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 I'm, I've been around sport a long time, and I genuinely say this um, uh, with a, as the greatest term of endearment, you are a hard bastard. Is that an inherent quality, or is that something you learn? I mean, it's a tough sport you guys are in. It is a pretty tough sport, and I, I think I, I was lucky with the upbringing I had. Dad, Dad was one of the toughest men I ever knew, and um, growing up watching him work, his work ethic, and um, watching him... You know, wood chopping into his sort of late sixties, um, 
yeah, he was he was very inspirational for me, mm. and also my mother, my mother's influence. She was she was extremely strong as well. They they really worked hard back in back in the day, and um, you know, just wanting to provide for the family, and uh, they were great role models for me. And I think um, those two people really um, inspired me. Yeah, see, growing up for me in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, I mean, wood chopping it was on television a lot. Uh, it was always a big part of things like the Easter Show. I know in Australia, the Sydney Easter Show, arguably one of the most prestigious titles to win, along with sheep shearing, uh, very much represented that rural community, represented everything we love about this country. Um, I mean, you're, you're a big guy. I, I was just saying um, to Stephen Donald there that you wouldn't look out of place in the All Blacks. Why wood chopping? Oh, I guess it was just something I took to at a really young age and, and more so probably going to the contest, the AMP shows, watching Dad, and uh, that sort of got me interested initially. And what, then, sorry, what was your father's name? My, my father's name was Pi Winyard. Yep. Yep. And, um, and so it, when was he at his very best? Excuse my ignorance. Oh, probably before I was born, he he was, he was um, the, yep. you know, he, he chopped really well. He won yep. some world titles yep. um, himself and... He was an extremely powerful axeman. Um, grew up chopping down trees uh, with an axe and a crosscut saw at the age of twelve. So he learned how to use the equipment um, from that early age. And then, as he grew stronger, and um, you know when he came into his prime, he was one of the best axemen in, in the country. Mm. And he didn't. Go out and compete regularly, so he he only he was working that hard to provide for his for the family, that he couldn't always go out and compete. But when he did come out, sometimes it would be two years not competing, and he'd just come out and, and clean <laughs> everyone out, you know, like just win. See again, I'll go back to the seventies. Growing up, there were some names that I always remember growing up. I didn't necessarily fully understand what they did, or the until later on, and, to, and the extent and the impact that they had within their own sport. There's always Precious McKenzie. I always remember Precious McKenzie. In the nineteen eighties, a cyclist by the name of Jack Swart, but there was also a gentleman by the name of Sonny Bolstad. Sonny Bolstad was a huge name in wood chopping in this country, and then his son David Bolstad. Um, what memories do you have of them, and and what was that relationship? With your family, was there a relationship? There was, yes. Um, as I said, like Dad wouldn't compete regularly, but um, when he did come out, he he would beat like Sonny Bolt's dad, and that kind of started a rivalry between my dad and and Sonny Bolt's dad. And, which, and you've got to which, have rivalries, don't you? Yeah, yeah. for sure. And that kind of continued um, when I came up and started competing against David, and David Bolstad was one of the one of my greatest rivals um and you know for through most of my wood chopping career and he was a fantastic competitor as well but i think like reflecting on the eras like david and i probably took the sport to a different level because we took it on professionally and um i did it professionally from 96 to 2012 um, David was much the same. He he was professionally involved, competing full time, and uh, so so that actually enabled us to totally focus on becoming mm. the best axemen and sawyers that that we could be, and and we it took our level 
like way higher than our fathers. Yeah, oh look, it's a natural evolution, isn't it? Yep. I mean, people do it for the different reasons. You said that you did it professionally, and David Bolster did it professionally as well. For any sport to be professional, there needs to be a market, there needs to be interest, there needs to be an audience uh, for sponsors to get involved to be able to leverage. Where is the hub of professional wood chopping? Yeah, this was is, it here in New Zealand or was it overseas? We all got our start in New Zealand, of course. Um, then we graduated to Australia. But the main source of income for our professional careers came out of USA. So in 96, I, I was a, one of the first to go over and uh, compete in the Steel Timber Sports Series, which was the... Which was on ESPN here. I remember watching yeah. it on Sky and I remember watching you guys and being a very proud Kiwi to see you know, the name Bolstead and, and Winyard. Yeah, it was. Um, it got good coverage. A lot of our national championships ha- received coverage in New Zealand in the earlier days, but was the, the coverage wasn't on the level of what ESPN took the Steel Timber Sports Series to in the USA. So, of course, we graduated over there. Actually, David took a more, um, like, he went to Australia more, so he, he went out and competed at the Royal Shows throughout Australia, whereas I headed really to USA early early on in my career, and I competed in Canada yeah. and USA. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this, um, I mean, if you don't, yeah, hopefully you can tell me, but what sort of prize money could you earn in the States? What sort of prize money could you earn in a year? And I'd imagine that probably you'd earn more in endorsements of certain outdoor equipment, but what was that balance? There wasn't huge endorsements. Like people probably saw us on ESPN and thought, well, they must have been, you know, sponsored by Steel and S T I L H. Is it Steel? Uh, S T I H L. Yes, which I think sponsors one of the tournaments you're going to go to shortly, which we'll talk about. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, the the huge endorsements weren't weren't really there for our sport, but it was bigger than anything else you could compete Mm. for, say, in Australia or New Zealand. So um, both. David and I sort of gravitated toward that US-Canadian um, circuit. And the great thing was we could go and compete in the summer in the US when it was winter back in New Zealand and then come back and compete Australia and um, New Zealand in, in, in our summertime. So it was, um, it was a great few years. Yeah, I mean, one thing we don't have in this country is scale in regards to population. In America, there is scale. There seems to be a market for everything. There are just so many different um, groups of people. There are just, um, uh, what's the word? There's so many different niches, and sports can be a niche, but still have a a really big public following. Uh, I mean, within that wood chopping community, within that outdoors community, how big a names were you in America? I think... At, at the peak of the steel timber sports in USA, we were we were pretty well recognised throughout the USA, and it's like you say that they're great sports fans over there, oh, and because brilliant. the country's so huge, um, like I'd have people coming up to me in airports and saying, "Look, can you can you sign my cap?" Or, you know, I saw you on ESPN, and it was um, it was really eye opening um, compared to. You know, coming from New Zealand and and not hardly getting noticed, even even when you were getting that recognition in the states. So it was um, completely different to anything we were used to, and and it was great. It was um, going back to the prize money question. There really wasn't a huge amount of prize money. I think um, the most I ever won there in a season would have been about eighty thousand. And 80,000 US. Yeah. That's still not bad though, is it? it How was, long's the season? It was pretty good. The season roughly went for three months. Yeah. And um, 
so yeah, you, you could make quite a good amount of money in a short amount of time, but you'd have to invest quite a lot of that money back into competing the next year. So it really, when you look back on it, it was a labour of love. It was, it and, was and if you could break even, if you could break even, great. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, um, how many different categories within wood chopping? I mean, how many? Like, is it you know you've got the decathlon and athletics? How many different categories? And just talk us through what different events you're involved in, what different events that you've won world championships and what events do make up these series? Yeah, it's, it's, there's quite a broad range of disciplines compared to other sports. So um, primary disciplines in wood chopping are the standing chop, um, which is where the block's mounted in a, and a you vertical go from, stand. And, and then you chop one side, run around, yep, hit the exactly. other side. I think most of us have seen that or most of an older generation maybe seen it. Yep. Um, so that's the standing chop, and then you've got the underhand chop, which is where you cut footholds on the on the top of the block, and you stand on the top of the block, yeah. and cut each side, cut a scarf from each side. Um, then there's sawing disciplines. Uh, there's a single sawing, which is one person, uh, double sawing, which is two two men or a male and a female, or two females. So there's a range of disciplines in the sawing, and then there's also chainsaw disciplines, um, kind of starting at your stock production chainsaw, and moving on to the open modified um, chainsaws. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask you. How much of the equipment you use is stock standard and how much of it is customised and probably wouldn't be used in an everyday situation? Oh, most of the equipment wouldn't be used in an everyday situation, um, apart from the stock chainsaws that they provide for the competition, like the Steel Timber Sports Series. But you must have parameters in terms of what you can do with your equipment in terms of design? There really isn't too many um, rules uh, other than, you know, if it's an axe, you can. there's no weight limit. Um, you can have as long a handle as you want, but the parameters around it, you're trying to make the most amount of speed with, with the right amount of power. So, um, Is that balance between weight? Exactly. And, yeah, that ability between weight, sharpness, and all those other things. Exactly. So... Like to cut a block really quickly, you need to put the least least amount of hits in it with the quickest strike rate. So um, you can go and put a long handle on an axe and and have huge amount of power, but because you can't develop that strike rate, it's not possible to do that. So there's happy medium between. Yeah, everything. look, it's not dissimilar in cycling. What people won't realise in cycling, you've got crank length, so the arm that attaches to the front chain ring and the pedal now. Smaller chain ring, you can turn it over a lot quicker. Yep. Longer chain ring, you can produce more power, but you actually actually end up burning a lot more glycogen, and your cadence will generally be a little bit lower. Yep. And so it is about finding that balance. But often it is, and I'll ask you this: often you base that on your own sort of mechanics. You base that for on sure. your own plumbing. And is that a similar thing for you? I mean, you're quite exactly. a tall guy. As I said, I don't think you, you certainly wouldn't look at look at a place in the All Blacks. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So the rules. Like you, you basically find the best fit for your own body makeup that can allow you to develop that, um, you know, the most amount of power with the quickest cadence, basically. Mm. So, um, so you tailor your own equipment to suit that. And there's also preferences with, uh, like, the handle sizes, how, how the how the grip feels on the handle. Yeah, and, and clearly the axe head itself is where the most of the weight is because uh, what are we steel are we? Yep, it's high carbon steel. High carbon steel. Yeah, so um, that that holds the the best cutting edge for our 
competitions. Because yeah. I was going to ask you this, from when your father was competing to say when Sonny Bolstad and those guys were competing, how much of an evolution has there been in the technology of the axes in terms of the material, in terms of the metal? It's been huge. Has yeah. it? Yeah, it's been huge. And, uh, and that's carried right through to what you pick up, say if you're going to go and buy a top-end axe in, a say, a Mitre 10 or wherever. Um it's like in Formula One, a lot of the Formula One, it's about development and then taking what they've learned in F1 and putting it into everyday cars. Is it similar? It's not really because the properties required for an everyday X, so um, are very basic. Like the blades are much thicker. The steel doesn't have to be that high quality because of the thickness of the blades, whereas we're kind of pushing the limit of what the steel is capable of. So... If you can imagine it like this, we're swinging like three and a half kg axe heads and these blades are sharpened to sometimes 14 degrees, which is which is really, really thin. And you're putting all your power behind that blade into, into a log at an angle and you're expecting that steel to hold up with all that force that's been applied to the axe head. And the forces going on that blade are incredible. Like um, these, these axe heads have to be forged. They have to be made from high quality tool steel, and they have to be expertly heat treated and tempered. And uh, yeah, so we're right at the the, the edge of what that steel. Okay, so how? Of. So who customizes your equipment for you? You must have a sponsor out there. You must have a company that does it for you. Feel free. There's only a few companies in the world that manufacture axes of a high enough quality and we're, we're really lucky in New Zealand um, Tuatahi racing axes and saws they make the we're finest we're Tuatahi based they're in Masterton and they've been uh, making high quality axes and saws for I think close on 50 years do they now. do it the old fashioned way yep they they, they have a, um, a forge hammer and they buy the in the steel they buy the steel in billets hmm. And they forge all the axe-heads out and then grind them down to size and heat-treat and temper in-house. In so they're a pretty amazing company. It is coming up to 19 minutes after 7. You're listening to SENZ, our greatest ever axeman, uh, woodchopper, uh, outdoorsman. Jason Winyard is my guest in studio. He's heading off to the United States, uh, heading off to Gothenburg uh, very shortly in Sweden to try and win his 10th steel, what do they call it, the... Uh, still Timber Sports World Championship. So still Timber Sports World Championships, which has never been done as a remarkable achievement. Uh, Gothenburg, just out of curiosity, is where Sir John Walker broke four minutes 50 for the mile back in 1975. So well, ho- hopefully hopefully, there's a little bit of a, 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 a kindred sort of New Zealand spirit there and all of those wonderful things are passed on to you. Uh, look, if you've got a chest... Uh, uh, Question for Jason. Telephone number is 0800 150 uh, Anything to do with wood chopping, um, the outdoors, that sort of whole rural sport, we'd love to hear from you. 0800 150 You can text us here on the programme too on 8833. 24 minutes after 7, you are listening to SENZ, our greatest ever axeman, woodsman, outdoorsman, Jason Winyard in studio. Son, of course, Ty Winyard, these days playing for the Taranaki Mountaineers in the National Basketball League and went to the Commonwealth Games as part of the New Zealand three-on-three basketball team. Uh, if you've got a question for Jason, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, always knew the name Sonny Bolstad. Um, and then I've, I guess I've always had a little bit of an affinity uh, for wood chopping. And, of course, Jason Winyard, David Bolstad, used to watch them uh, on Sky via ESPN um, with the various events they'd have in the United States. 
So look, if you're just curious, uh, you've got any question, feel free. Love to hear from you, uh, J- Jason. So let's talk about what is coming up in Gothenburg on the what 26th of October? Did you say? Uh, 28th. Of 28th October. of October. Yep. So you're heading off for what? Yep. Um, the World Championship, um, still Timber Sports World Championship, will be held in Gothenburg this year on the 28th of October. So it's a, a two-day event. Um, on the 28th of October, there'll be um, a World Team Relay, and Sorry, on the 27th and then the 28th, there'll be um, individual world championship. So. Do we have a New Zealand team? Yep, we have a um, six-man New Zealand team. And who are those other members, if you can, off the top of your head? No? You're going to catch me now. No, no, it's no, all right. We no, can no, write no, them. I, I do know. Yeah. It, it's Adam Lowe, um, Shane Jordan, Jack Jordan, Nathan McDonald, myself, and we're taking our rookie over for an experience, who is David Bolstad's son, Morgan Bolster. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, That's so wonderful. A, so Sonny David team. and now the young son. Yep. Oh, that, that is uh, simply superb. Is there a danger, though, doing that team event the day before that it affects your individual performance the next day? Pretty pretty tough, mate. You've knocked it on the head there. So, so um, you, do you have to make a decision on that? It, it's always been that way, and it's always been a bit of a conundrum, and I think it's probably got tougher as, as the ages is you kind don't of recover caught as up on me. Yeah. yeah, and so I've... I've sort of developed a few different recovery methods like um, ice bathing right after and, yep. you know, trying to hydrate correctly. Um, do, do you set your training up, though, that so you, if you say, let's talk about let's talk about periodization. Let's use athletic, you have your base work, your strength work, and your speed work. Yep. Do you have some principles that apply to that where you sort of do more maybe loading but not so much intensity and then you start to sort of bring the power and the shorten up your sessions but they're a lot more intense? Definitely, um, and I've got a I've got a great trainer. His name's Adam Story, and he um, sets up all my training program, and um, that's exactly how we do it. And now, so, so the fact that you're going to have three days of intensity, do you start showing your body in training? Definitely, what's going to happen? So you'll do yep. three intense days, and then say, right now, I you know I did this today. Got to go home. Got my post training or post racing uh, protocols in place. I've got the next day. Wake up. Got my um, pre-competition protocols yep. and so by the time you get there your body's sort of familiar with what it's going to experience yep exactly and you, you have to do it like that otherwise you you know you set yourself up to fail so well you can't train one way and then expect to race another way can you exactly yeah so i'm in the toughest discipline in the team which is the single single buck or the single saw and it's basically one one man on an end of a crosscut saw um it only lasts for probably 16 well, 13 to 16 seconds, but you're putting all out effort in that in that short amount of time, and you have to do it because uh, it's a knockout competition in the teams event. You have to do it six times mm. in order to, you know, get to the final and and hopefully win the final. So the rest period gets less and less as as the event progresses. So I think from the semi final to the final, there's only um, probably 15 minutes between. Mm. Um, those two so it's pretty tough and then of course the individual competition is the next day so it's really important Mm. that you get all those um that protocol right before you know beforehand New Zealand I mean you've won so many world titles you and David Bolstead sort of having carried um the New Zealand flag does New Zealand have that reputation when you turn up that is the team to beat all the Kiwis are here we're in a world of trouble I think we've we've earned respect of the other competitors, but um, 
we've kind of been back and forth with Australia for quite a few years, and um, I think Australia's just edged us out on winning the team event by two times since its inception. So, um, so you didn't tell me that when you said you wanted to come and do this interview. <laughs> I might have changed we, we my mind. Oh, I might stuff, have changed you know? my mind if I'd have known you'd been beaten by Australia, Jason. <laughs> Can't you see my T-shirt? It says seconds on the other team, mate. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that, mate. That's why I was keeping it quiet. But uh, <laughs> they are—they're um, probably the, the top nation in, in wood yeah, chopping at yeah. the moment. They've got some fantastic young competitors, and uh, they are really tough to beat when you get them in a team uh, in any sport, as you know. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, really, really doing some amazing things in wood chopping. Their, their competitors are breaking records, and um, they've just had their national championship, and it's um, it was a fantastic, fantastic event with a, a couple of world records broken. And um, yeah, the talent on offer over there is is pretty, pretty, um, pretty special. So it'll be good to get up against them and give them a good. Uh, Good hurry up. And now we just had a text in and um, we did talk about David Bolstead and you competing against him and you don't have Agassi without Sampras. Uh, but just someone wanting to know, have you ever teamed up with David in the USA? Definitely. I won um, several team championships with David and uh, they were they were really memorable because we, um, you know, when you're rivals, it, it's kind of, you know, you, you wake up every day and you're thinking, you know, what do I have to do to try and get over this guy because he, he was fantastic. He was one of the best technicians with an axe that I've ever seen. Hmm. I, I want to talk about that then because you've talked about technicians. So I want to talk about the technical component because a lot of people just look at that and think, hey, you've just got to be a big mongrel with plenty of power and you're going to break it. But from my understanding of sport and every sport that I've been involved in, when you break it down, there is a technical component to it. How technical is chopping? Yeah, it's very, very technical. If you want to deliver that axe in exactly the right spot um, at a precise angle and then back that up within a millimetre of the last hit. It takes a lot of practice and um, a lot of understanding of how to use your body. Um, it, it's very, very technical. And, and David was a master at, at using his body correctly and he was a master with accuracy and angles and um, the correct equipment to but, use but as well. Good technique, good equipment. You can yep. serve energy, can't you? And in your game, exactly. it's about, you know, yeah, you want to try and keep money in the bank for as long as you can. You don't want to have to burn too many matches too early. Yeah, it, it's all like compared to triathlon, it, it's really, really short burst. So, 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 so yeah, it's not an endurance event. It's more no. about, what do we call it? It's, it's um, fast twitch. It's all high, it's all, it's all glycogen, isn't it? It's just, yep, bang. it's all mostly anaerobic. Yeah. And, like when we're going for longer than sixty seconds, we really start to like really die because our bodies aren't used to that transition period, and you, um, the sixty second mark seems to be the threshold between mm. anaerobic and anaerobic, and that's where you really feel pain. But most of our um, disciplines are over within twenty to thirty seconds, so you, you know you're putting all out for that short amount of time. But once you start getting towards a minute, you start getting the ugly face, the war face on, you're sort of breathing through your eyelids, trying to get the oxygen. It seems like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. you're transitioning and, um, 
your body really struggles with that and there's a lot of pain. But I, I don't know how you guys do what you do like oh, with triathlon. No, but look, it's like anything, isn't it? Show your body in training. You don't wake up just one day. It's a natural progression over a long period yeah. of time. I can tell you from the likes of the Cameron Browns, the Hamish Carters, everyone will look across at every other sport and go, how do you do that? We turn up and watch you compete. We go, how do you do that? And I think the reality is it just comes down to passion, desire, and a hell of a lot of hard work, yeah. learning how to lose before you learn how to win. For sure. And, um, you know, I'll say it, the greatest ingredient you can have is passion and desire. And sometimes the only way that you deal, uh, the only way you truly test somebody's passion and desire is put them in an adverse situation. Yeah. And that's what I want to talk about next. I want to take a break, but I do want to come back and look at the injury side of it. I know in recent times you have had a lot of adversity. As you've got older, you've picked up a few more injuries. Yeah. So I do want to address that next. Um, Jason Winyard, um, our greatest ever axman, woodsman, outdoorsman, is my guest in studio. Telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. It is 22 and a half minutes away from 8 o'clock. You're listening to SEN. Just a reminder that the voice of international rowing, former Olympic rowing gold medalist out of the UK, Martin Cross, is going to join us on the programme after 9 to talk the Rowing World Championships. We'll talk some baseball, some surf lifesaving and some Q sports between 8 and 9. We will also open the lines and give you your opportunity to have your say. Telephone number here is 0800 150 you can text us here on 8833. This our very, very cool guest in studio enjoying this. We've got our greatest ever Axman woodchopper, and that is Jason Winyard. Um, boy, I tell you what, he's won it all. Uh, more than 270 world championships. Remarkable, remarkable. If you've got a question for Jason, again, 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. Jason, um, I talk about that. We spoke earlier about, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm so passionate about it. I really, really want this. And then, you know, they turn up to training late or they miss sessions. But one of the real things is when things aren't going well. I always say you've got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. But things such as injury come along and really test that mental resolve. Um, how much adversity have you had in your career? I think my wood chopping career started out with adversity. Um, I really, I really wasn't that good when I started out, and um, my my first ever wood chop it was terrible, and that stuck with me for for years and years. It still sticks with me now how bad it was, and. I remember competing in a, in a boys' chop in Mamaku, and it was the first time I'd ever um, been in competition. The other boys were, were pretty good with an axe. They'd been practising at home with Dad, and, and I never really um, got the chance to practise with Dad. So I, I was third out of the three, and miles behind, I fell off the block and got back up and finished it. But that one experience kind of set the stage for me just to want to be better, and that really hasn't changed throughout my wood chopping career. Um, I've always just tried to improve myself, and 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 I never ever wanted to let that happen happen to me again. Mm. Um, to be embarrassed like that. So. Okay. What about injury? And I know you've gone through a lot of injury in recent times, which I do want to talk about. Um, and you've had to work through that. Yep. Yeah, um, I'm 48 now, and. Um, it, I think people look at me as a bit of a dinosaur in the sport, but um, because I've been competing for so long, I, I think um, arthritis has crept in, in in my later years. So I had um, hip replacement in 2020 on my left hip, um, and that was 
I suffered with that for probably three or four years before that. I was having cortisone injections to get me um, through the last few world championships. And I won the last world championship in the timber sport series was in 2017. And I took that out. It was in Norway, I think. And um, after that, things things got really, really tough. Um, I, was, I had stem cell treatment in both hips. And... Both hips were really bad with arthritis. My right hip needed one stem cell treatment and it's been good ever since. Uh, the left wouldn't take, um, so I ended up getting a replacement in, in 2020 after uh, multiple treatments in the in the left hip. That failed. So that was a really, really tough time for me. I I was really trying to retain my own joints because I still wanted to compete. At a high level, because and stem cell treatment's a relatively new form of medicine, isn't yep. it? But you found it very effective. It was really, I mean, for the right hip, it just solved it straight away, like it cured it straight away. The pain was gone, and you got to remember, I was having cortisones to get me yep. on, on, you know, able to compete. So it was a dramatic change from having so, to have that. So to, stem cell treatment was life changing. It was very much so. But but again, I, I just want to say that to anyone too. I mean, you need to consult your doctor, don't you? You need to get Definitely. the options on it, don't you? Definitely. Because I also I also read that it doesn't necessarily work for everyone either. That's the trouble with it. It, it like with me, I, I really had a fifty fifty percent success rate with it because it, it worked on the right side, but it didn't work on the left side, and that's the whole problem with it. People don't really know why it doesn't take. When you look at the X-rays, both hips looked exactly the same. Um, you know, cartilage, cartilage loss, bone on bone, but for some reason the right took mm. and mm. the left didn't. So, so how, how did you discover stem cell? Did you do some reading on it? Did somebody approach you? I mean, how did how did how did you go down that path? Well, I, I kind of exhausted my options with cortisone um, because I had so many shots, and I was looking at natural treatments and. I was looking for someone to do PRP, which is um, um, when they take your blood, they draw yeah, your blood. Yeah, yeah. I, I spin I, it I in know a, a few triathletes do that, yep. Yeah, so um, very We're similar. not talking blood doping, we're actually talking treatment for injury. Yep. It sounds okay. like blood it's, doping. But it's eh? not, yeah. So it, it's platelet-rich plasma, which yep. they, they take the platelets out of your blood and then they re-inject them into you know, the injury sites where, where yep. the arthritis is. So I was looking for someone to do that to get me through another world championship in 2018. And I found Regen Cellular. They were down in Queenstown. So I, I visited them. Sorry, Regen Cellular? Yeah, Regen yep. Cellular. So people can Google that if you're maybe experiencing arthritis or just... But hey, you, again, you don't have to go down the path, but if you are just wanting to maybe explore those options, because I know how debilitating... I've got friends, I know how debilitating it can be, and you're just desperate to find a solution. Yeah, definitely. And, and I was, and um, so I had the PRP treatment. It, it got me through the 2018 championship. Um, world Championship, and then we went down the road of actual full-on stem cell treatment um, because I, I didn't want to get a replacement joint. I, I thought that, you know... Well, could, once it's gone, it's gone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, and it possibly could have been the end of my career. So uh, that's that's kind of why I looked at those alternatives, and I'm um, really happy that I did because um, the right hip's been fantastic. It's... Uh, it's amazing, and I, I'm still kind of working with the left hip because it's it's actually resurfacing. Um, so I, I got the better of the options with the hip replacement, but it, it's still not as good as the right side. So 
I, I, my advice to anyone is retain your own joints if you possibly can. And if stem cell treatment is an option for you, then please look into it. Because you've had it in the shoulder too, haven't you? I have had it in the shoulder as well. So I got um, the, both hips going okay in, like by 2020. And, um, and then my, I had trouble with my shoulder. Mm. Um, so I got a stem cell treatment yeah. in, in that. And, and the other thing too, and we were just talking about that off air because we're just sort of talking more about sort of endurance sport and base training. And you were saying that you, you're doing more sort of base work now, doing sort of more endurance type training. And you are also discovering the real benefits of that, just doing a lot more but at a lot lesser intensity. Yeah, that, that side of my training is... Um, really improved my ability to to come through mm. at the end of the competitions especially and, and with timber sports mm. um, you know that's a major thing because the last three disciplines are actually worth mm. they're, they're worth more points than the rest so Jason sitting here I, you can sort of see a little bit of emotion in the face just how difficult it has been with these injuries in recent times I mean this is your sense of self-worth this is your sovereignty this is your identity and there's that fear that it may be taken away from you. Might not be able to get back. You're not quite ready to retire yet. So, I want to give you the opportunity. Who are those people that you want to thank? Who are those people that have helped you through this? Oh, there's been so many, Mark. Um, but definitely Regen Cellular. Mar- Marcel Noble is a, is the owner of Regen Cellular, and they've been so supportive. Um, there's been a lot of people. Uh, Adam Story. He's he's been my trainer for I think the last eight eight or nine years. And he's been brilliant. Like um, he's enabled me to, yeah, win the last few world championships and and get myself back um, back up for a tenth. So I'm really thankful to these people. Um, yeah, it, it's tough when I talk about injuries because it's kind of like I don't know how you sort of set your mind, but. Um, I kind of want to push that stuff to the side because I'm I'm aiming at this goal. Oh, you know? brilliant! Absolutely. So um, yeah. it's really tough to talk about the arthritis and and what I have been through. But I'll just give you an outline of of what I've done to myself. Like I've burst um, discs in my back twice. Um, I've had the arthritis. I've had a hip replacement, and then I've had trouble with the right shoulder. So um, there's been a myriad of um, hurdles that I've had to climb so every time I compete now it's um I'm so thankful that I can get out there and still compete and um and that's it for me like um when I was going through all these issues with the hips and stuff um I felt like I wasn't done you know so um this for me is just it's nothing but personal satisfaction and trying to finish, like trying to end my career on my own terms. That, that, that's all this is about for me. Um, so, yeah, very thankful to the people that have got me back. Um, thankful to Still New Zealand, um, Regen Cellular, Broadtech, um, Adam Story. Yeah. Have a think really about thankful. it. We've still got one more commercial break and then we've still got about three or four minutes. So Jason Winyard, my guest in studio, our greatest ever axman, Woodsman. 0800 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. We'll come back with more. It is eight minutes away from eight. Uh, Axman, one of our greatest ever, if not the greatest ever, and one of our most underrated athletes, certainly just one, one hard bastard, is Jason Winyard. He's my guest in studio. Uh, Jason, you work a full-time job outside of being an Axman or are you full-time? I do. I, I work for Still New Zealand as a still technician, 
and um, I've held that position since 2012. So. Yeah. yeah, it's not a bad thing, is it, having balance in training? Like, I, from my experience, is if I had a bad day training, but I had nothing else, then I life sucked, where once I got a part-time job or I started studying, if I had a bit of a bad day, I could still sort of bank it, focus on something else, and then wake up the next day and hope things were a bit better. I'm just Is balance a good thing? Definitely, yeah. Um, when I was sort of full-time competing, that, that, that was challenging. Um, so basically I, I started the career with Still because I built a relationship with them in 2006 and they sponsored me in the US uh, competition. Um, and the, the rules changed around entry into the US competition in 2012, so... They made it US only competitors for for that series, and how that, American? That was almost... How American? <laughs> and and we, I can't blame the US, and and often I've I've it's come across wrong because it was a global decision um, for each country to have their own national championship, and then all the like the best of the national champion um, championship competitors compete at the mm. world championship. Um, so that was the the global. Um, sort of direction that, that still wanted to take with the competition. Um, but effectively in 2012, I, I didn't have that um, income um, possibility from competing in the state. So um, I was looking for a full-time job and, and it just happened that mm. a technician was retiring at that time. So I built a career with still, did an apprenticeship. Any, and, any other sponsors? Um Still's been my main sponsor yep. for um, since two thousand six, so um, that's that's I'm really thankful for that. And yeah, talking about balance, um, it, it borders it's a whole different challenge, like holding holding down the um, the day job and then still trying to compete at a at a world class level. That was um, really challenging for me. I had to really structure my training. Puts more um, urgency though, isn't it? it? I mean, it's it, like it, anything. If you've got all day to train, you take all day to train. It, it seemed to be a bit like that too. Like I'd put eight hours a day into, yeah. you know, an hour into mm. each discipline. But I, it just finally, we've only got less than a minute. But I just sort of sense you're enjoying it more now than you've ever enjoyed it. I really am. I'm, I'm enjoying the journey, the the preparation. Um, whereas I, I hated the training when I was younger. I, I really hated it. But um, a lot of that reason was because I, I trained really tough. Like I. I set up a whole lot of blocks and, and chopped them and, and sawed them, and that was really tough on the body. So that wasn't enjoyable, but now I'm training more scientifically, and, and it's, it's really quite stimulating. Well, well Jason Winyard, privilege and a pleasure to have you in studio. All the very best uh, coming up on the 28th of October and the day before in the teams at the uh, Still World Championships in Gothenburg in Sweden. Thanks very much, Mark. been great talking with you. And we'll make sure we stay in touch and keep updating us. Yep. You're an inspiration. 48 years of age, still an elite athlete, still got passion and desires, learn how to lose before he learns how to win. And don't forget, do consult your doctor, but do, if you're struggling with things, do check out the whole sort of stem cell as potentially uh, an, an option rather than maybe getting joints replaced. Hey, you can only ask the question.